My family in Christ, and, and I genuinely mean that. It's great to be here today. Uh, greetings to you from your brothers and sisters in Christ at Saving Grace Lutheran Church in Mobile, Alabama. So I was told I was not allowed to make any Bronco jokes this morning, but I could make Alabama football jokes, so um, I'll refrain from that. It's a real blessing and an honor to be able to share God's Word with you today. Uh, my, brother, my little brother, Timmy, is your pastor, of course, and uh, as I was up here, he asked if I would share God's Word, and, and truly a, a blessing to be able to do that, so thank you for that opportunity. Um, today, I want to share with you a, a message I shared with my own congregation not too long ago, and it was about uh, sticking into your head a song that will be useful, that will stick, especially in particular Ill, Ill, situations that you are in. You know that probably in your own head there are those few songs that always stick around that whenever they come on the radio, you know all the songs too, whether it's a Garth Brook ballad or Neil Diamond. Anyone a Neil Diamond fan? Okay, a few. Yeah, I'm really aging myself, aren't I? Yeah. Um, and, and in the same way, the Lord throughout Scripture, although we don't have the music to it, He gives us these beautiful songs in so many different ways in the New Testament, the Old Testament, and the book of Psalms is just packed full of them. One of the beautiful psalms is Psalm 25, which I want to share a portion of that with you today. And one of the reasons that this one is such a great one to stick into your head is because it's that type of song that you need when you don't necessarily have a Bible at your side, but when you get into those situations in which it would seem to be impossible or overwhelming odds, and the hope of what comes out of that situation is often dwindled, right? That Exactly when you need that song the most is when Psalm 25 comes up. I'll give you an illustration. So Mobile, Alabama is down in, in shipmaking country, and there happened to be a captain of his boat. He had three on the crew, and the boat was going down. And so he explained to his crew, he said, listen, crew, um, about that whole captain goes down with the ship thing, uh, we're not doing that. So here's what we got. We got, a life, uh, we got a life raft, but it will only hold three people, and there's four of us. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you an opportunity to earn your place on the life raft, and if you answer the question correctly, you can get on the life raft. And so he starts out, and he asks the first sailor the question, and he says, Sailor, um, tell me this. What was the famous boat that hit an iceberg in the northern seas and went down shortly after it was launched? And the, the sailor said, well, that's a fairly easy question. It was the Titanic. The captain said, yes, you have earned the first, the first position on the life raft. And so he went to the second sailor, and he said, Okay, sailor, here's your question. Of that ship, there were many passengers that perished in the Titanic. How many passengers perished in the Titanic when it went down? The second sailor said, Well, I am a bit of a, of a nautical history buff, and so I happen to know that there was 1,517 passengers that perished that day. The captain said, well, how do you know that? It was, well, I'm a good Lutheran sailor. 1517 is a fairly popular date in, in, our, in our faith. So I knew it was 1,517 people that perished on the ship that day. And then he turned to the last sailor, and the last sailor was a little bit nervous, and he turned to the last sailor, and he said, okay, sailor, here's your chance. If you answer this correctly, you will get to go on the boat. Otherwise, it'll be me. Of those 1,517 passengers that passed away that day, what were their names? Now, have you ever found yourself in a situation with overwhelming odds, such as the captain had given to his sailor, where there is no hope or very little hope, and it can be a bit crushing? Well, that, that aside from the really bad joke I started with, that is the essence of Psalm 25, 
confidence in very difficult situations. Let me share with you, I, I won't read through the whole thing. Uh, Pastor Tim did a great job, but let me just read for you verse 1, 2, and 3 once again. Feel free to follow along and take any sermon notes that you want to as well. Here's what King David writes, inspired by the Holy Spirit, Psalm 25, verses 1, 2, and 3. In you, Lord, my God, I put my trust. I trust in you. Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. No one who hopes in you will ever be put to shame, but shame will come on those who are treacherous without cause. Let's bow our heads and pray. Lord, strengthen us in your truth. Your word is truth. Amen. Let me walk through just a little bit as we take a look at these first couple of verses. So, first of all, King David wrote this. He wrote the majority of the Psalms in the Old Testament. He was not only a warrior king, but very good. Uh, and the Holy Spirit inspired him to give us some of these songs. We don't have the melodies, but we have the words. When you think of King David, however, just to put this psalm into context, um, just as a show of hands, how many people are familiar with King David? Raise your hand if you're familiar with King David. All right, just for a second, close your eyes. If they're not already closed, close your eyes. And when I say King David, what image of King David pops into your head? All right, if it's David and Goliath, raise your hand. If it's David and Bathsheba, raise your hand. All right, yeah, I know what you're thinking about. If it's a different idea of David, raise your hand. Okay, raise your hand now. How many of you think of King David as a 13-year-old shepherd boy with a loincloth on? One, two, okay, a couple. See, now this is where I want to go with Psalm 25, because so often we have these awesome accounts of King David, who was uh, the only person in the Bible to which the Lord said, he is a man after my own heart, an incredible example of godly faith, but also a huge example of, of when you fall hard as well. And we have both of those contrasting sides. But even before that, we have King David as the shepherd boy. Now understand, all of those accounts that we have of David in the Old Testament, they started long before he was ever a king of Israel. In fact, by the time he was 13, he was the last of his group, and he was the youngest child of the family. That would be Mark in our family. Yeah, always getting the brunt of everything. And he was put in charge of taking care of the sheep, the most lowly, boring job that there was. And yet, already at that time, in his own words, he says this, he was developing his trust in the Lord as his God, because already at that time, as he protected the sheep, he had killed with his bare hands mountain lions and bears. Yeah, now being in Colorado, maybe there, raise your hand if you've ever killed a mountain lion or a bear before, without a rifle? Probably not, right? So this was King David already at 13 years old, who had defended the sheep and been put in these life and death situations, and it was his reliance on the promises of God that gave him that fearlessness so that by the time we see him with Goliath, it's not surprising that he took on a giant with nothing more than a sling and a couple of rocks in spite of the fact that he should not have won that battle, right? It was the Lord's trust in the Lord's promises. Okay, now imagine that for just a second. What if we could live without fear the same way that King David, even before he was a king, entered into his kingship as the Lord. Uh, sometimes it's been said that some of the things that even dictate our everyday life, like the choices that we make when we get up in the morning, are due to the fact that we, we are controlled by the things that we fear. 
In other words, if you're very concerned about how you look to others and others' impression of you, and I'm not criticizing because I do the same thing, I try to look good when I get up in the morning, but we spend time and money and effort in order to make sure that we look presentable because we're afraid of sometimes what other people think. Or maybe it's natural disasters or things that you're afraid of. There's all sorts of things that are out there in the world. And so we spend our time and our effort preparing ourselves for natural disasters. In an extreme case, everyone see uh, doomsday preppers? Yeah, that sort of thing, right? What we fear so often controls us even in our day-to-day life. But what if we weren't afraid of something? What if we weren't afraid of death, right? And here's the confidence that King David gives. So King David delivers to us this portion of Scripture as a prayer to give us those confidence that to stick in our head in those very difficult times. And and look at what he says. Look at where his confidence is. Verse 1. In you, Lord, my God, I put my trust. Now, if, if, if you happen to take sermon notes, in verse 1 and verse 2, you'll find the same, English ver, the same English word for trust. And circle both of those. In Hebrew, the original language of the Old Testament, they were not the same words. In fact, what King David originally wrote was not that I will put my trust in you, Lord. He said, in you, O Lord, O my God, I will lift up my soul to you. And if you look at some of the older translations, sometimes you'll find that reflected in there as well. What he was saying was this, Lord, here I am in this situation. I am going to put into your hands the single most important thing that I have in my life, and that is my soul, which will last ultimately much longer than my physical body. In other words, Lord, my biggest concern in my life, or should be, as Jesus said in that passage in our gospel this morning, is where my soul will end up, right? So he starts off by saying, Lord, I'm going to lift my soul to you, and in your hands, I'm going to put the most important thing I have. And then in verse 2, he uses a different word for trust. In verse 2, then, he goes on and says, I trust in you. In other words, Lord, if I've given you the most important thing in my life, which is my soul, and you're going to take care of that, now I am going to take the action and trust your promises, and my actions are going to be decided on trust, not on fear. Lord, this is what I'm praying. And then he goes on in great King David fashion, and he, bold, he prays a very bold prayer. He says, that, Lord, because you've taken care of the most important thing, I'm going to trust you. This is going to be my action. So here's what I'm praying. Do not let me be put to shame. Now, the word in Hebrew for shame is bosh. And the only reason I have that ingrained into my head is because my professor, Tim may have had him too, Professor Eichmann, used to write on the top of any paper where you got less than 50%, bosh tov, be very ashamed, right? But King David is using it a different way. He's saying, Lord, do not let me be put to shame. And then he follows up by saying this, or do not let my enemies triumph over me. Understand what he's praying. And this is, this is the beauty of the song. He's saying, Lord, most important thing in your hands. So I will then, on the basis of that trust, trust you. Lord, do not let me be put to shame and do not let my enemies triumph over me. And then this is the golden passage in this portion of Scripture. He says, because this is the promise that you have made, verse 3. No one, no one who hopes in you will ever be put to shame, but shame will come on those who are treacherous without cause. Right? Here's the promise. No one will ever be put to shame 
because of you, Lord, who put their hope in you. Now imagine that. I, I've done enough marital counseling. You probably know this by your, uh, if you have spouses as well. You are not supposed to say, my wife always is nagging me. She's not. She's here this morning, right? Or, nor are you supposed to say, my husband never does the dishes. You're not supposed to use absolutes like that because it's not always true. And yet, what does the Lord say? No one ever will be put to shame who trusts in his Lord. That is an absolute promise. And this is what David was putting his confidence in. Now, just put this into practical terms, all right? In the life of David as a 13-year-old shepherd boy, picture him uh, over by Montrose, Colorado, in the Black Canyon, on a beautiful pastured uh, mountainside with forest all the way around. Here's the 13-year-old boy, long before he is ever king or has done anything incredible. All of his brothers are off doing something important, and he's taking care of his hundred sheep. And as he's lounging there in the meadow on that beautiful Colorado afternoon, he looks, and out of the forest, he sees a mountain lion with his nose up in the air, catching the whiff of those tasty 100 sheep that he's supposed to be guarding, Right? So King David looks and catches eyes with the mountain lion, and you can see Psalm 25 running through his head. Lord, I'm going to trust in you. I'm going to lift up my soul and give you the most important thing. David and the mountain lion lock eyes about 100 yards apart. He picks up his sling and his rocks from the smooth rocks from the, from the brook, and then he starts walking towards the mountain lion as the mountain lion comes closer. And then he says, Lord, I trust in you, so my action is not going to be based on fear, but it's going to be on the, pro- on the fact that you have promised to never put me to shame. And as he starts going towards that mountain lion and the mountain lion starts coming for him, he puts the rock in his sling and starts wheeling it up, and he says, Lord, now you said, do not let my enemies triumph or put me to shame. And as he starts running towards the mountain lion, it comes closer and closer. He lets it go and says that promise of God, you promised to never put me to shame, and hits the mountain lion square between the eyes, drops him to the ground, and feasts on mountain lion steaks that night at the fire, right? That's confidence in the fact that he has put into God the most important thing in his life, which is his soul. (laughs) He has taken the confidence and made a decision and trust in order to carry out what the Lord had put in his life And the Lord would not let him be put to shame. Now, here's how it applies to us. I think that sometimes, especially in our world, and and maybe this isn't a modern thing, maybe this is from generation to generation, there seems to be quite often a climate of anti-trust or anti-hope in the world in which you live. You, You catch this feeling as you watch the media, as you talk to people, as difficulties come in people's lives. And And this is how it works for a Christian. As the Lord has put trust into our heart, we do come under hard times. There are challenges that we face. There are things that we go through that are very difficult. And it would seem like an impossible task. And probably to your friends and to the people around you, it is an impossible task. And yet, as a Christian, we face those knowing that there is hope and the Lord will not put us to shame. And so maybe it's something like you lose your job and at the moment you have no money, you don't know where you're going to go. In the middle of a recession, you think, Lord, how is this going to be? And then you grab onto a promise of God such as, I will work all things out for your good. And as you grab onto that promise, then we say, Lord, you've already taken care of the most important thing in my life, which is my soul. I now am going to make a decision. I'm going to trust that you're going to take care of me. And we take actions towards that. We do all that we can do in order for that particular situation to work out. We work like it's up to us, but pray and trust and know that it's all up to the Lord and he works us through, even in the middle of a not hope 
in a situation. But I think so often the world and both the devil have, have a, very a very skeptical way of getting into our heads. It's not an out-and-out -out temptation where he shows up at the front door with a red suit on and a pitchfork. But what he just says is, maybe there's no hope. Right? So you, you, you lose your job and you think, how, how in the world is this going to be for my good Lord? And it spirals downward. It affects your relationships. And suddenly those that are close to you are hurt. It affects your finances. Suddenly you find yourself at the bottom and it continues to spiral downward because there is no hope. And, and, and that is the danger of our sinful nature and our own self is to believe and grab onto the idea that nothing can work out for our good, to not put our confidence in our Lord and our Savior. And yet here's the grace of God. And here's the beauty of what our Lord said. Because when that happens, it's not our trust, but that God has grabbed a hold of us. That the Lord has taken our shame and showed us no shame because he put it on Christ where he died on the cross for our sins. Because Christ has come into our hearts through faith. And this is how the Lord guides us and instructs us. Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me for you are God, my Savior, my hope is in you all day long. Remember, Lord, you, your great mercy and love, for they are from old. And finally he ends, Do not remember the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me, for you, Lord, are good. We have confidence in those difficult times because it's, we know that it's God's love that has grabbed onto us forgiven our sins, taken anything that stands between us and God away so that he has taken care of our most important possession we have, which is our soul, and that we might live for him. Here's your application this morning then. It's easy to do. I think in our world today, and you maybe have seen this and experienced it, there is a, a, a sense, a lack of hope, right? Just watch the news every night and it becomes the main theme. There is no way we will get out of a recession. The Russians for sure are knocking at our door. Whatever it may be, this lack of anything good in our lives. Don't believe it. Right? Know that the Lord has these things in his hands, both in the world and in our lives. Don't succumb to it. Know that if the Lord has said we will never be put to shame by trusting in him, we will never be put to shame. For some of us that get a little older, we get a little cynical and bitter. Don't do it, because God keeps his promises. And the second application is this. So when you see someone that is going through a challenge like that, share with them your confidence in the Lord. Think about it by just being in the presence of those that need that confidence that we will not be put to shame. Maybe you haven't been to a Bible class for a while, but maybe there's somebody there that needs your faith and confidence. Maybe you haven't been to a community event in a while, but maybe there's somebody there that needs your strength and your assurance in your faith. Maybe there's somebody in your family that needs to hear from you and that confident message is Psalm 25, which is stuck in your head, and the confidence that we have in our Lord and Savior's promises. Friends, today, hopefully walking away, you will have that psalm stuck in your head. <laughs> For we who trust in the Lord will never be put to shame. Amen.